0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. So how many of us have felt the pinch of debt, right? And we want to make it that easy. I declare bankruptcy! Yeah, we wish it was over. All your problems go away. Well, it's not really that simple. And so today we're going to talk about the B in our ABCs of financial freedom, bondage. And we're, we're really going to wrestle with debt today. Now, let me say this about debt. I'm not going to try to tell you that there's, that there's no occasion to have debt. The Bible doesn't say that. And people who tell you that there's never a good time to have debt um, are trying to sell you a program. So... Um, we're not going to say that. I'm just going to talk about what the Bible talks about. And uh, debt is a sticky issue. It's sticky for all of us. We struggle with it. I get it. But we want to talk about it and see if there's some ways that we can honor the Lord in the process. You know, our church uh, bought a mall in in Moscow. Our Moscow campus is meeting there. And, and we went into debt for that. And I, I do want to say this. This is kind of cool. Um, we are serious about paying off our debt. And... Um, We had, last year when we did this series, we had uh, about 72 or three or four, something like that, families, that committed to giving tithing for the first time. Because of that, we were able this last year to pay down on top of our monthly mortgage payments an additional $330,000 in debt, which is awesome. And that's because of your guys' faithfulness. Uh, and it's put us in a position where we're able to do all kinds of thinking and dreaming about things like, what would it be like for Pullman to have a permanent location? Let's start work in that direction. Can I get a win as I've been here? <laughs> all right, so, but, but listen, that all happens, number one, because we had a debt reduction plan, number two, because we have people who are faithful to doing with their money what God wants them to do, and that's, that's you guys. Now, another thing that I want to throw at you is, I've been talking with our elders, and as we've been in this series, one of the things that we want to do as a church leadership is make sure that we're honoring God with every dollar that comes through our church, and we want to make sure that we're doing the best we can. Um, For those of you that are new to our church, if you haven't been here for, like, back in the day, back when we started, we used to bring in um, donuts, and that was like a major, it was like a thing. We were, we were like one of our major vision pieces was come to church, we won't cut your donut. Like if you come to church, we'll give you a whole donut because this is one of my five keys to church growth is whole donuts. Um, whole donuts, two ply toilet paper um, because single ply doesn't wipe it. Smears, um, you need two ply toilet paper. Spring for the extra ply. Um, Pins that write well, that's a key to church growth. Uh, hand soap that smells good and um, good quality coffee. Those are all things, those are my five keys. And it actually worked. What a lot of people, uh, look at you people here. Um, what a lot of people don't understand is the scope of what it takes for us to actually manage an organization the size of our church. Like, and I, And so, let me give you a number that shocks me. It shocks me, it probably will shock you. In a given month, we spend... $1,600 a month in donuts. I was, I was like, ah, I had no idea. $1,600 a month in donuts. I, now, it's a lot of dough <laughs> on a lot of levels. That's a lot of dough. Here's the thing. We have the money to spend on the donuts, that's okay, that's great, but the question that we're wrestling with is, is that the best use of $1,600 a month, right, and and so I have a, my care group that meets on Tuesday nights in Moscow, we have a care group of of people that are college age, but they're not going to college, which is kind of an anomaly in our community, so there's quite a few of them, and they're kind of lost, like where do I fit? I'm not a student, but I'm also not like a full-fledged adult. and so uh, we were like, you can come fit in in our house. So I throw out to them, on a scale of one to 10, how important are the donuts? They're like, they're a 10, that's my breakfast. Bah, bah, bah. You know, this, this stuff. And I was like, well, let me run this by you. And my daughter, who attends our, our care group, um, she looks at me and she goes, well, when you put it that way. Well, here's the way I put it. Here's, here's what the elders have decided to do. And we want you to know about this because we want you to feel safe that we're not taking for granted the fact that you guys are sacrificing to give here. Like, we get that, we get that. And so what we're gonna do is next Sunday is gonna be the last Sunday that we have donuts. And what we're gonna do, and so enjoy them, we are going to take that $1,600 a month and reinvest it in benevolence. Which will allow us to help more families in the community. And the reality is, we believe, I believe this with all of my heart, that our body is all interconnected. Body, soul, spirit, like the physical thing, like what's been funny is like last week we did the same donut count, but the donut consumption count went way down because it's January. Uh, Everybody had New Year's resolutions to not eat donuts. Uh, Good news back up this week. So um, it's typical, but um, here's, here's what I want to say. Like there's a real connection between how we treat our physical selves and our emotional and spiritual well-being. Like, that's real. It's biblical. And and so part of the thing is, like, we need—I feel guilty because I feel like we're we're poisoning you. Like, we're hurting your spiritual—truly, we're hurting your spiritual well-being by allowing you to eat donuts. Now, what you do outside the four walls of our church service is your business, but um, we just want to I want to give you the best chance to spiritually succeed, and so we're going to take that money and reinvest it in the mission. Okay, and that we're excited about that, even though we have to have a donut funeral. So you can take one home and bury it in your backyard and have a little headstone. Put on uh, Here lies donut. But uh, so today um, we're going to talk about bondage. We're going to talk about debt. Now. Um, Here's the thing, debt, and what you're going to find out is that debt isn't so much bad in and of itself, but debt has a really subtle snare that we get sucked into that's really just devastating and it's really hard to pull out of. So let's read. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I want you to see what God says about his people and how he wants to treat his people when they do everything that God's asking them to do. So let's read. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So let's stop right there and ask this simple question. Do you want to be set high above all the nations of the earth? The answer is yes. Yes, you do. If I got to choose between blessings and curses, I would choose blessings every time, right? That, that's just how it is. Now the question becomes, how do I get God to do that for me? Well, here's how. By being careful to do all his commandments. How many of them? This is, I know this is church, but you can talk with me. Oh, thank you. All the commands. That I give for you today. Not just the ones I like or the ones I agree with or the ones I haven't talked myself out of. If I'm careful to obey all his commands, then it's going to go well and God's going to set me in, uh, above the, all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. So is that the kind of life that you want to live? That kind of blessed life? God tells you how to do it. Just obey what I'm asking you to do. Don't try to make loopholes and reasons and excuses. Do what I'm asking you to do. All of it. The Lord will cause your enemies. This is one of my favorite statements in the Bible. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I love that statement. Like you walk over here, you limp back. That's kind of, that's the Hebrew subtext there. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in the and all that you undertake, and He will bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to Himself, as He has sworn to you. If you keep the commandment of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord for to your fathers to give you and the lord will open up he, to you his good treasury the heavens to give you rain in your in your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands and you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow that is a statement that you should underline because starting to think from that perspective radically shapes our view on money and the Lord will make you the head, not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Be careful to do them, and do not, if you do not turn aside from any of the words I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after the other gods and serve them. This is God's equation for success, and this is gonna show up again and again and again in the scripture. When you do things that God commanded you to do, Romans, the book of Romans calls this acts that lead to life, things are going to go well for you. It's going to lead to to life. And if you do things that are in contrast to what God would ask you to do, these are acts that lead to death. And the thing about acts that lead to death is that they always lead to death. They always do. And so that's the struggle. Like we want to find the loophole where it's justifiably okay for us to do these things that lead to death, but it's not okay. So we want to talk about God's view on debt. What does it mean to be in bondage? But we have a problem in our culture that Thad's going to talk about.
1: And the problem is we're, we live in a culture that's addicted to debt, right? Like it is so easy to uh, find ourselves in the hole to borrow for things that we can't live without, right? And the the marketing, the media, everything in our culture is directed at trying to convince us that our life will be imminently better or imminently worse with or without this thing, right? Like that, that you can get a degree, you can go to school and become a master at uh, helping manipulate other people out of their money. It's awesome. Um, Not really. Debt is a big problem in our culture right and so we're going to take a look at some stuff but first we're gonna take a look at uh, Romans 13 8 and it goes like this it says "Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law now there's a couple things that we can kind of pull from this verse I mean one is God sort of uh, tips his hand we get to see what God really values that he says that when we uh, love one another we fulfill the law and so it's sort of a clue like hey this is what god is up to when, when we're, we're talking about all those in deuteronomy um, following those things and living out god's commands first off and foremost that we love one another it's, god's showing us that we fulfill the law the other thing we can see here is a big obstacle to us being able to love each other well to love one another well is that when we owe someone when we owe other people when we're enslaved and we have debt, it becomes an issue for us and it creates all kinds of problems. And so we're going to dig in. And like Aaron said, we're not saying that you can't have debt, but we are saying that we recognize that it is a legit issue and a major problem and a trap that a lot of us can fall into and it has all kinds of implications. So we're going to take a look at seven, um, steps or ways to help us kind of avoid the snare. Okay, so they're going to be in your notes and they're going to be up on the screen too. Let's take a look at the first one. The first one is the Bible doesn't forbid debt, but it does discourage it. We know that the Israelites made loans amongst themselves. We also know that in God's word, he forbid people to charge interest to the poor. And so as we're working through our finances and working through things, that's something to keep in mind. And uh, Aaron will touch on that a little bit. But Proverbs 22.7, let's take a look at that. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now in our culture, we don't often think of ourselves as slaves, um, unless you have a really, really tough boss maybe, right? But we don't often think of ourselves as slaves, but Webster, in the dictionary, one of the definitions of a slave says, a person who's strongly influenced or controlled by something. Now I don't know about you, but I, in times in my life, have definitely been strongly influenced and controlled by my debt. And so when you start thinking about it, you're like, man, does this, does this debt take away options? Do I, can I not do this because I am enslaved to this debt here? Like it takes away your choices and, and actually becomes an issue where it controls you, okay? There's, there's ways where we can take on smart debt, like you know make debt uh, work for us. There, it, it, it's a little bit different now. When the economy was really tanking, the car companies were all too happy to give away car financing at 0% interest for ridiculous like 60 months. I mean, they were just like, this is a no-brainer. If you need a car and you have good credit, that was the way to go. If someone will loan you money and not charge you any interest, that's a win right? There's other ways you can win, like with uh, companies that do, uh, if you need furniture, you need tires or different things, they do 90 days, same as cash. If you can fulfill that and pay the debt off in those 90 days, that's a no brainer. Um, but there's a lot of ways where we can um, use debt unwisely. And in, we live in a culture where um, our abil- ability, To repay a debt is not measured by our assets. Like someone doesn't say, hey, you want a new side-by-side. Do you have enough money in the bank to buy the side-by-side? Because they'd be like, well, yeah, if I did, I would just buy it, right? But I don't. So what do they look at? Your credit score. So if you are credit worthy, they will loan you this money. And so all of a sudden you have these options opened up to you to buy all kinds of things that you don't actually have the money for, but they think that you will pay them back. So they say, sure, let's give you this. And so we get into the trap of campers and side-by-sides and TVs and furniture and on and on and on. I mean, you fill in the blanks with your stuff, right? And it can become an issue where we're actually enslaved and controlled by debt. So let's look at the second one. The second deal is the longest term for debt in the Bible is seven years. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if credit card companies would go by that rule? Yes, it would. Uh, credit card companies, uh, are super happy with like 100 year terms, right? They, if you are a minimum, uh, payment person, your picture, rest assured is somewhere on the wall as one of their most valued employees at the credit card company. They love minimum payment payers. And so if you get trapped into credit card debt and you've got multiple revolving loans or credit card debt, and you're making minimum payments, it it starts to just get the best of you. And so what can happen is people can think that they're doing the right thing. They can think they're trying to be responsible and pay a little bit extra on everything they owe. And they're like, I'm really trying to get out of debt. The problem is the interest accrues far faster than your extra payment does and it's a never ending cycle that you just keep uh, feeding them and strapping yourself. So there's ways to get out of debt. There's strategies to get out of debt. One of them is a, a snowball strategy where you take a lot of money from all your little extra money, put it on one payment. When that one's paid off, you roll it over to the next one and so forth and you roll it over. Um, we have books in the back that we're giving out today, the ABCs of finances books, and they talk about some of these, how to get out. Like we're talking a little bit today about things to avoid, but if you're there, the book is a great resource. And then on Amazon for super cheap, uh, you can get the workbook that goes with it. And uh, they're really a big, big, big help at working through getting out of it if you're already in it, okay? so. let's look at the number three. Jesus endorsed the use of leverage and using banks to gain wealth. You're all familiar with the parable of the talents. We talked about it maybe a month ago or something, I know. And in the parable of the talents, the land manager, the um, landowner, has some servants and he's going to entrust them with certain amounts of money while he's away to, to manage and oversee this money. And the term that they use for money is a talent. And it's important that we remember for us today, a talent's like 20 years wages. I mean, it's a huge chunk of money. So he says like in the story, he goes like he, the first guy gave hundred years wages, the next guy gave like 40 years wages. And, and then a lot of times we can look at the story and say, when the last guy gave one talent and you think like, well, that guy must not have been very good. But like, when you think about it today, like would anybody turn down an opportunity for a check for 20 years wages? Sounds pretty good like, um, that might help me out. And so he gives them these amounts of money to steward. And we know what happens in the story. The first guy invests it is wise with it, is able to give the landowner back, double the money. The second one, second guy does the same. The third guy is afraid and he hides the money in the ground. And he thinks the guy is going to be a shrewd or mean, uh, boss mean stiff manager. And so he hides it. And when the boss comes back, you know what happens with him there? He's like, you are a worthless, lazy servant. And then he goes on to say this stuff to him here in Matthew. He goes, he goes on and uh, he talks to him like this. going to be up on your screen here too. He says, uh, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing." of teeth so it, it's not a good deal like at least leverage the uh, interest in the bank like you could have at the very least put this money on deposit and Jesus talks about using leverage to gain uh, uh, wealth or friends or influence and the idea of leveraging something for the, to gain in an area of something else isn't bad in and of itself the question is is it ethical and for us as Christians, that's the, that is the um, plumb bob we've gotta use, is is it ethical to use leverage in that way? So you can leverage a bank, for example, to get a mortgage for your house, right? And there was a time in our country where real estate was a 100% no-brainer. Like if you bought real estate, it was going to be a good payoff for you at some point. Like it always appreciated. That's not so much the case anymore. I mean, there's certain markets where that makes sense. There's certain uh, circumstances where it might be a no-brainer, but way more often than not nowadays, It's really important that you are wise even when using a bank to um, get a mortgage loan that you're really wise, that you don't exceed your debt to income ratio. Also that the investment that you're, the house that you're buying, you, people look at it all the time because there's all these uh, house flipper shows on TV and everybody thinks you just put a little paint on some stuff and some new countertops and bam, you know, in five years, this thing's gonna double in money and all that stuff. And the reality is, yes, it may accrue. It, it may in, um, be worth more money in a few years, but it may take $50,000 cash to get there. And uh, usually the people that are like trying to talk themselves into it being a wise investment have no money to put into it. And so it ends up being a bad deal rather than a good deal. So even in real estate, we've got to be shrewd and wise um, in how we uh, use our money. The other thing we can do is rather than just doing nothing with your money, you can put it on deposit with a bank or with an organization like the Solomon Foundation, which is like a, a church extension fund. And it's a place where you deposit your money there in a safe place. It can be a savings account, a CD, or none other investments. But you can put it there, and they take the money they make off of it like a bank would, but they actually use that money to do kingdom work. They uh, were pivotal in helping us get real life on the blue up and running years ago and have been that way for many, many churches. So that's an option. Um, And then number four, this is one probably all of us can relate to. If you're in debt, it affects everything you do. Anybody relate to that? If you're in debt, it affects everything you do. It saps your motivation to go to work. When you have got yourself in a pickle, whether it was Poor choices, or maybe it was stuff beyond your control with medical, or you know, everything went wrong at the wrong time. Sometimes it's beyond our control in some of the debt that comes on, you know, that we take on. But when you get so sunk into debt, it really does start to sap your energy. You start to feel like no matter how many hours I put in at work, I'm never gonna get out of the hole I'm in. And so now even going to work becomes a burden and you start to have uh, anxiety and stress in your marriage and it starts to change the way you parent and it, it affects your relationship with God because now you start to put your stuff on God. Like how come you're not doing this for me? How come you're not fixing this? And it's like we weren't doing uh, God's things with his stuff to begin with. And so it's a a hard spot to get when we get ourselves in too much debt. So we've just got uh, a few more of these. We're going to run through, and Aaron's going to zip through those.
0: Okay, so statement number five, co-signing isn't a sin, but it's not smart. Um, Here's the general rule of thumb. If a bank, who banks are masters at lending money, that's how they survive. If they think that person is not capable of repaying the money, you should probably pay attention to that. And we get ourselves into trouble trying to be nice, even for Christian brothers and sisters. They said they were a Christian. And you're like, yeah, and you got $10,000 in debt you signed for. So, like, it's not... It's not a sin, but it's not necessarily smart. Now, like for us, for my wife and I, we co-signed for my daughter to get a car. She had saved up a uh, really good down payment, and she wanted to get a little bit nicer car, one that was more reliable for her, because she's working sometimes in Moscow, sometimes in Lewiston, she wanted to be able to drive back and forth without worrying, so she saved up. She went to get the rest of it financed, which was great, she's way ahead on the car, she had a great, which you know this, if you buy and sell things, you, you make money on the buy, not on the sell, right? So, when you, how much you buy something for decides whether or not you're gonna make good money on it, not how much somebody else is willing to pay you for it. Um, But she made a really good buy on it and she had to finance the rest. Well, the problem is she only had her job three months at the time. And so the bank was like, you haven't had a job long enough to do that. So we stepped in and co-signed for her to be able to do that. A couple of things about that. Number one, it's my daughter. So if she doesn't pay the debt, I'll kill her. (laughs) Right? Like we have that kind of relationship. She's way more afraid of me than she is of the bank. Right? But the second thing about that, and this is the most important thing, if my daughter for some reason can't pay the debt, my wife and I can absorb it without getting sunk. Does that make sense? Like it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be convenient, but it wouldn't kill us. So that's really important when you're thinking about co-signing for somebody. With the best of intentions, we can put ourselves in a really bad spot, okay? Um, Proverbs 22, 26, and 27, here's what it says. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up a security for debts, but if you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Here's the deal. If you co-sign with somebody and they don't pay their debts, it's your house they come after. And if you're like, but I just, well, I don't know. you know what the bank's gonna say? Sorry. You, should, you shouldn't have done that. Thank you for the keys to your house. Like They're not, they're not gonna hold back on that, nor should they, nor should they. That was your decision, and it was a poor one. So co-signing isn't a sin, it's just not smart, unless it's in a very specific circumstance. Statement number six, if you're in debt, you should get out of debt as quickly as possible. That makes sense. Lots of strategies to do that. Snowballing is one. Dave Ramsey's a huge advocate of that. Um, uh, The ABC's book has got some other strategies. Um, Here's the thing. You need to target debt if you want to get out of it. And I, and I want to say this. There's debt that you need to work on aggressively, and then there's debt that you can take your time with. Like, as a rule, even in today's world, if you get your house on a good buy, a house is generally a good investment like don 't count on it for your retirement, but a house is generally a good investment one one caveat to that don't take out second mortgages and another caveat to that is don't be over eighty percent loan to value because then you have this thing called mortgage insurance, and mortgage insurance is an absolute racket it's we 're going to we're risking that you can't manage money if we give you more than 80% of the value of your home in a loan. So you want to make sure when you buy a home that your loan isn't for more than 80% of its value because then you have mortgage insurance, which is, a bankers love it when you're like, I can only afford 10% down. Really? Mm, Okay. Another thing, any unsecured debt, like credit cards, they don't have any desire for you to pay that off. Like it's the worst thing you can do to pay off. My wife and I paid off uh, our credit cards a couple of years ago, and um, all of a sudden, I started getting all these notices in the mail of opportunities for more credit cards. They're like, and they all on the front of the envelope. You have been flagged as an excellent steward of debt. Here's a credit card, and for a low, low 23% interest, you can have one of our credit cards. We'll even give you like a thirty thousand dollar balance. I was like, wow, $30,000 in free money at 25% interest? That sounds like a great idea. Uh, Do not, do not, underline this, circle it, highlight it. Do not get sucked into payday loans. Ever. Or car title loans. You will pay 35 to 40% interest. You cannot recover from that. Like, don't do it. It is so much better for you to get your car repossessed than to do a title loan. Don't do it. Another general rule of thumb, and this is, this is something for you to think about. If you're gonna buy a toy, pay cash for it. Like a boat, or a four-wheeler, or a motorcycle. I, I have a motorcycle. I have a, I have a motorcycle. It's a, a, I have a cycle. The motor sometimes works, but it goes downhill really fast. I paid $100 for it, cash, and a shotgun. That's a good horse trade, right? And that's a 90, 1982 Yamaha Maxim 750. But it's a fun toy. It's a fun toy for me in a bang around town, and it's great. Now, what I want what I want, is a 2018 Indian Chieftain Dark Horse, which is just pimped. I mean, they're just so cool. Ugh, with the bags and the... Um, I want one of those. And when I can pay cash for one, I'll have one. But until I can, I'm not going to have one. Like uh, Josh Gray, our executive, he loves boats. Paid cash for his boat. Now he wants to upgrade, so he's saving money. He's agreed he's not going to go into Like if you want a toy, there's nothing wrong with having a toy if you can afford it. What comes bad is if you go into debt for one, because that's a depreciating asset. It's always a liability for you. You will never get the money out of it that you put into it so just pay for it with cash, Uh, generally speaking. But if you're in debt, you should get out of debt as quickly as possible. Let me make one other statement here and then we'll move on to those of you that are in college. Student loan debt is a bad idea. I know that they want you to think it's a good idea. It's a bad idea. Here's a really good idea. Get a stinking job and pay for your college as you go. It may take you five years, maybe even six. But I promise you, there's a lot of people in here in their 30s and 40s that are still paying for an education that they thought would be a good investment. And it's not for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not because there's no guarantees that your degree will give you anything on the other side. I can't tell you how many people have college degrees and they're working in jobs that were not from their degree. The other thing is, what I see happen a lot is people going to twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a year in student loan debt for a job like a teacher or something like that. Which uh, teaching is a noble profession. There's nothing wrong with being a teacher, but the problem is you're not going to make the kind of money to pay back a hundred grand in student loans. Like it's just a reality of life. You're never going to be able to get ahead in that and you're going to be stuck in this cycle of pain and suffering and misery because you believe that debt was a good idea. So it's just not one of those things. If you're in debt, you should get out as quickly as possible. Last statement. God's plan for us is to be lenders and not borrowers. That's God's plan. And, And if you really let that sift you, it will shift the way you think about money. It will shift the way that you think about money. Like, what does it mean to be a lender? What would that look like to loan money and not borrow money? How would I have to steward my money to get into that position? And don't do it illegally or unethically. Um, If you're like, I could, in 10 years, I could have a hundred grand to loan. You probably need to get licensed at that point. Um, There's some like legal realities in that. But That's God's desire for us is to be lenders and not borrowers. And you know what is so fun is to be able to be the answer to someone else's problem, not to always be living in your own problems. And being out of debt opens up that opportunity. It really does. And so uh, with that in mind, we're going to move towards our implications. And that means that we're going to take communion here in just a little bit. Um, We're also going to pass our buckets. So um, what we do with those buckets is we, send them down the middle and they go out to the outside and those buckets are there for the cards that Adrian talked about or if you want to drop your tithes and offerings in there you can certainly do that at this time just send them to the outside and they'll get picked up as we take communion I want you to know if you're new with us that we have an open table and what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in communion with us but we want you to hold those elements till the end and you can take, we'll take them all together. Um, while they're doing that, I want to give us. I want to work through four implications. But before I do, I want to read Psalm eighty-four, eleven. Here's what it says: For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. How many good things does God uphold from the or withhold from the upright? Nothing. If you want. Every good thing that God has for you, walk uprightly. It's simple math. It's God's promise to you, and that includes how we steward our finances. So this is really important for us. Implication number one, God wants his people to be financially responsible. Like, that's a no-brainer, right? God wants his people to be financially responsible. That's easy peasy, Number two, debt is a reality of life, but it should be for the shortest amount of time and for the lowest amount of interest. If you need to get into debt for some reason, or if you're choosing to leverage debt in an opportunity for uh, business opportunity, um, that's okay, but let me say this. If you get overwhelmed and stuck into debt and you file bankruptcy... And I'm not dogging on people who filed bankruptcy. I know stories where for some people that was their option. Like I'm not beating anybody up. Like I looked at their finances and I was like, I don't see another way out. I don't see another way out. Here's the deal. If you committed to paying that money back, bankruptcy may get the creditors off your back, but it doesn't get God off your back. If you filed bankruptcy, you are still obligated to pay that money back before God. That's just the reality. And that's a matter of personal integrity. And you cannot expect God's blessing in your finances when you won't fulfill what you committed to fulfilling. Can't do it. So it's important for us to recognize that. If bankruptcy has been a piece, you're bankruptcy. If that is you, it's okay. Like I'm not going to beat you up for a decision you made in the past. And for some of us, it's like, I, you can beat me up all you want to. It was the only option. Okay, not a problem. You still have to pay the money back. One of the things I love about uh, Michael Reyes, who um, was the campus pastor in Moscow, just moved up to Coeur to take on a campus position there, Um, he was in a business deal where his guys above him, they all invested a bunch of money, him included, and the guys above him um, mismanaged the money. And then they had an accountant that embezzled a bunch of money and their company went bankrupt. And Michael paid back every dollar that he owed. After the company was long gone, he pay back every dollar that, and and God honored them for it, like because acts that lead to life lead to life, all the time. Uh, number three, anytime we're in debt, we're not completely free to use our money, in ways that honor God, and that's true. Like it's so nice to have the kind of cash where when somebody comes to your door fundraising, hypothetically, like you don't know anything about that in this community. Um, but if somebody were to come to your door and ask for money for something, some high school thing, or the football team is selling this, and the Girl Scouts are selling that, and the Boy Scouts are selling that, and the college program is selling this, and somebody else is selling that. When somebody comes to your door and knocks, if you don't have any debt, you're free to choose what you're going to give and whether or not you want to, not whether or not you're able. And that's a very different posture. It's so empowering to say, I can give them anything I want to. Why? Because I ain't got no debt. That's so empowering. Number four, God will help you get out of debt if you're committed to the process. He will. God will help you if you're committed to the process. Now, let me tell you this. That doesn't mean there aren't gonna be speed bumps. There are gonna be speed bumps. This last pay period, just this last pay period, I had in my own family $1,350 in unbudgeted expenses. Surprise! (laughs) There's a number of different things. Um, the biggest one was my wife and I were on our way home from Kalispell after Christmas, and we slid off the freeway at 55 miles an hour, hit ice, and whew, with our two youngest children, uh, it was exciting. And so we got a really awesome opportunity to pay a whole lot of money to get our car towed and fixed. And uh, I mean, it was—I didn't plan on pulling it, you know, paying for a tow. I didn't plan for that. I didn't plan for all those car repairs, but because I had savings, it didn't upend me. Does that make sense? Those kinds of things, and they happen. Cars break down, that kind of stuff. It's a reality of life. Savings allows us the ability to pay for it without us sinking us. Are you with me on that? Like that's a key piece in this process. You gotta put yourself in a position where the surprises don't sink you in your attempt to get out of debt because you will have surprises. You will, you will. So um, what I love about this uh, is it, it reminds us that we've got to be willing to stay in our financial stewardship with a plan for the long haul. Um, last week, we talked about needing a plan for our finances. Your money has a plan for you. You better have a plan for it. Your money plans to leave you right away, probably faster than you can get it. That's what your money plans to do. So you better have a plan to keep, on, keep a hold on to some. Okay, But what that means is we've got to lay our lives down. We've got to let go of the need for instant gratification. We've got to let go of that right away. I've got to have it now. Oh, I'll just charge it and pay for it later because I can afford the monthly payment. Like We've got to get away from that. We've got to get away from that and start really stewarding things in a way that God would want us to do, which means that we've got to look a lot like Jesus. Jesus lays his life down for us as a model for us to be able to be willing to lay down our lives and our desires for him. This bread that we take every week is a reminder that Jesus on the night he was betrayed, betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And this cup is a reminder that at the same dinner he took a cup and he said, this cup's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So Let's pray. Lord, uh, first of all, I want to say thanks for um, the promise of your blessing when we honor you with our life. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to manage our finances in the way that you've asked us to in a world that invites us to compromise. Lord, thank you for the commitment that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us and that in this way, you cause us to prosper when we do your things your way. Uh, Thank you for your love, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from real life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website,
1: liferotp.com.